I think I can still say Happy New Year. Um, it's still January, although it's the wrong end of January already. I don't know how that happened. Um, but, uh, yeah, Happy New Year. It's nice to see your faces um, in 2020. Um, I think it's really interesting. Uh, what's the name of the guy who's the Australian of the Year this year? John Mookie. Yeah, isn't it great that he, it's in the year 2020? It's an eye specialist. Um, 2020 vision. Uh, John Mookie. I heard him speak once, actually, um, at a, uh, um, a particular event in the city. And, uh, yeah, great, great man. Great uh, inspirational character um, as he's used the skills that God has given him in many ways uh, to care for many people um, globally. So, wonderful and uh, good to... Good to be with you. Um, I've, I've preached this sermon previously at my old church and I warned the church uh, that I'm not very good at poetry. Um, I was never good at poetry. You can ask my English teachers throughout high school. Um, and yet here we are in Psalm 120 in the book of Psalms. Largely it's poetry, uh, poetic language. And so I need God's help uh, to help us understand this part of God's word. Before I pray, um, I just want to share this quote with you. Um, this might just wash over you. Um, this is from a guy named Christopher Wright. He's a, uh, a theologian, a scholar in the area of the book of the Psalms. Um, and he writes this. I think this is really encouraging. Um, he says, quote, The Psalms is the book where millions of believers, Jews and Christians, down through many centuries, have found words for every possible occasion and experience. Words of faith and hope, of pain and forgiveness, of encouragement and peace. It speaks about God as he truly is and about life as it often is. It speaks to our hearts and lets us speak from our hearts. Um, I really love that. Um, let's pray as we come to God's word this morning. Father, we thank you and praise you for all the good things you give us. Uh, Father, we thank you for the, 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 the air, the oxygen that we're breathing right now. Father, for the fact that our hearts are beating, our lungs are working, our brains are active. Uh, we thank you, Father, that uh, you've given us this new day. Uh, Lord, we pray on this day, Australia Day. Uh, Father, we give you thanks for this country that you have um, yeah, called us to live in and placed us in. We thank you for its beauty. We thank you for its bounty. Uh, Father, we, uh, we also recognise, Lord, uh, the good things about this country. We also lament those things which are not so great. Uh, we lament, Lord, our history. Uh, Father, in particular, the way that First Peoples in this country have been treated, um, even today, but historically in particular. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, the great attempts by many of your people, Christian people, in the past who've come here and sought to treat all people as equal uh, and sought to live that out and share the good news of Jesus with all people. We recognise that they didn't get it always right. Uh, but Lord, we, we thank you, Father, for this country. Uh, Lord, we just pray for our nation. We ask, Lord, that uh, you would continue to um, help us be a nation where it's, 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 we're free to be Christians, we're free to express our religion. Uh, Lord, we pray for protection there. We just want to pray, Father, that this country would, uh, yeah, come, many would come to know the Lord Jesus, uh, find faith and life and freedom in him. Lord, we pray for ourselves now as we come to this part of your word. Help me to pre uh, preach in a way that is clear faithful and with power and also help us all to hear you speak this morning to us and so lord god we pray by your spirit we would hear jesus but we pray that by your spirit we would see jesus and lord by your spirit we would love jesus in whose name we pray 
think it was uh, just after New Year's Day this year, I um, went out with my wife Adele for dinner um, with um, another couple, Mike and Karen. Uh, Mike and Karen, long-term friends of ours. Adele actually used to sort of share a house with Karen uh, many, many, many years ago. Uh, Mike and Karen, they've got two small children. Um, they've spent uh, the best part of the last four years in Namibia, in Africa, um, as missionaries with CMS, the Church Missionary Society. Uh, Mike's a, uh, he's in theological education. Uh, they've been in Namibia for three years. They came back to Australia for their furlough of about six months. And in that time... Uh, for various reasons, have um, been uh, decided to not go back to Namibia, but they've gone back to South Africa, actually to Cape Town, to continue working in um, theological education at George Whitfield College. That's a bit of background about them. But uh, Mike and Karen, Adele and I were out for dinner. And, uh, you know, we were doing a bit of that, you know, classic end of year, beginning of new year kind of banter, reflecting on how did last year go, how was Christmas... Have we got any money left in the bank after, you know, buying gifts for our kids? All that sort of stuff. And uh, we were reflecting on last year, and then we sort of turned to thinking about the new year, 2020. Uh, and Karen posed this question to us at the table. Um, and uh, she said, I was reading this article the other day, and this question sort of stood out to me. And I wanted to share it with you and get your thoughts. And so we're sitting there waiting for this question to come. And the question was this. How are you, this year, going to experience fullness of joy in Jesus? How, in this new year, are you going to experience fullness of joy in Jesus? When she asked that question, to be honest, well, I didn't articulate this, right? I thought to myself, I, I said, I don't even know what that is, fullness of joy in Jesus. Um, I don't know what that feels like. And therefore, how am I going to experience that? I don't know. Like, that was my first thought. Anyway, that question kind of just hung around the table uh, for a while and no one really said anything um, until we sort of finished dinner and we moved somewhere else to have a cup of coffee and we sat back down and we started talking. Anyway, as we were talking, Mike said, you know that question you asked me? This is to his wife, Karen. That question, fullness of joy in Jesus? I don't know about that. And then he said, because I wonder, he goes, I wonder if life sometimes we can't sometimes experience that fullness of joy in Jesus in this lifetime. Um, and he said, the reason is, he said, he introduced me to this word, he said, because life is often a schlep. That's what he said. Have you heard that word before? Can you say it with me? Schlep. Say it again. Schlep. Life can be a bit of a schlep. Life can be a bit of a schlep. Christian ministry, all of us are kind of serving Christian ministry, Christian ministry can be a bit of a schlep. Now, you'd be going, what on earth are you talking about, Simon? What is schlep? Well, schlep, if you go to, you know, dictionary.com, basically says this. Schlep means tedious, difficult, heavy, kind of like you're hauling something along. Life can be a bit of a schlep, where it's just a bit hard. Um, and I don't know, as we got talking around the table, I was going, yeah, I think that's a bit of my experience. Now, it might just be me, right? You might be going, man, my life is nowhere near a schlep. There's nothing tedious about my life. There's nothing difficult about my life. Nothing heavy. I'm not holding anything. But I wonder, um, for me, it resonated. Life can be a bit of a schlep. It can be hard. Um, yes, we know Jesus. Yes, we are forgiven. Yes, we have the hope of eternity. But if we sort of stop and pause, life can, be, life can be tedious and difficult. And this psalm we're looking at today, Psalm 120, I think was probably 
probably when the people of God were singing this song, they were probably thinking, yeah, life can be a bit of a schlep. Life can, life can be hard. Um, whether this psalm was written for an actual journey or not, they tell the st- it tells the story of a pilgrimage. It describes a journey that any follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, any disciple might find themselves on. We're in the Songs of Ascent, so Psalm 120 through to Psalm 134, these collection of psalms which most likely were songs that were sung by, the, by God's people when they journeyed from wherever they kind of lived in Judah to Jerusalem three times a year for the big major festivals that God's people celebrated. And so these are songs that they would sort of pack with them and sing as they made their way, however far it was, from their community, their farm, their location, to Jerusalem for the major festivals of the year. I reckon, right, if they had Spotify, if they had Apple Music back then, whatever it was, iTunes, these psalms would have made it onto their playlists as they made their pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. They tell a story about traveling, about pilgrimage. And the story that we're looking at today, the psalm we're looking at today, begins in a world where people would say, I just don't belong here anymore. And it goes through, it says, I don't belong here anymore. And it goes through the next psalm into the protection of the keeper God and then ends with the joy of making it home. If you want to, you don't, we're not going to go all, all the psalms of ascent like this morning, right? That would be a long sermon. Um, but Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, the psalm, 15 psalms come in triplets, right? So you can note this one away, right? They come in triplets. So, for example, Psalm 120, which we're in today, is all about hassle, Psalm 121, which would come next week, if that's what we're doing, would be help. And then Psalm 122 is heaven. So hassle, help, heaven. And then you kind of go back to Psalm 123 and you kind of start over again. So you could have hassle, help, heaven. You could have threat, protection, relief. You could have danger, joy, rescue. That's sort of the, they come in triplets. So you might want to note that down in your Bible when you're reading it next time. These come in triplets. So you get a sense of how the Psalms kind of work. But Psalm 120, Hassle, starts with a growing sense of homesickness, where we find ourselves out of sorts with our surroundings, with it all being a bit too much to bear, a bit schlep. Um, And the pilgrims start out in this psalm in a bad way, they're in a bad place, and they know it, and they say it. They just say it out loud. So whether you're a believer or not here this morning, we need to first taste and feel the distress of the psalmist. So feel the distress. Have a look at verse 1 with me. I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. It's actually better translated in the past tense. I called upon the Lord and he answered me. And this psalm probably has its roots in a particular kind of circumstance or set of experiences. Some scholars suggest it might be um, Nehemiah. Um, You might recall that Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. He did it, though, in the face of constant opposition and hostility, criticisms, twisted lies, manipulation. But whoever's experience it started with, it's not far from any disciple's experience. It's not far from anyone's experience of those who are seeking to live for Jesus and love like Jesus in this world. Um, I don't know if you're uh, into reading uh, Tim Keller. Anyone know Tim Keller? 
uh, good author, um, he wrote a book called My Rock, My Refuge, which is a, a devotional series through the, all of the Psalms, so from Psalm 1 to 150. Um, in the introductory words, I love it, so, um, Tim Keller identifies that many of the Psalms we have in our Bibles, although some of them are attributed to you know, particular people, we actually don't know heaps about the, um, what is it, the, uh, the context into which many of the Psalms are written. So Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 51, for example, we do, uh, David's um, adultery with Bathsheba and all the consequences around that. But many of the Psalms we don't know the exact consequence, which Tim Keller identifies is it means that they, we can read our own experience into them. We don't have to go, well, I have to experience exactly what's going on here in order to learn something or gain something from the Word. Um, we don't know exactly what the context is of this psalm. But the question you've got to ask is, what caused the distress for the psalmist? What caused the distress for these followers of Yahweh? Well, look at verse 2. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. And I think you can imagine, buried in the original Hebrew are a few defamatory tweets and a few brush Facebook kind of posts. Lying lips and deceitful tongues. I mean, at first, right, you go, whew, it's a bit of a relief. I thought, I thought it could have been worse than that, the distress these people are experiencing. You know, truth be told, Christian people around the globe face far worse today. But then we realise the Lord doesn't need headline sins in order to respond. He knows our thoughts and he hears all of our careless, twisted words. Remember that playground saying sticks and stones may break my bones but names or words will never hurt me it's rubbish yeah rubbish they words can break and words can wound really deeply when i was at studying at theology college at moore college in sydney uh, the vice principal of the time his name was bill salia a fine man love the lord very clever um, you know, great mind, the Lord was using him really well and I remember him preaching one day in chapel and he sort of shared this story where he was one day, this is a grown man, right, with his own children, shared one day he was on the beach, he was making a sandcastle with his other siblings and his mum and dad were around, he's making a sandcastle and his mum just walked up to him and said, well you're not very good at making sandcastles are you Bill? When he was five. And those words, it's like, they, like he's still in therapy today. No, um, those words, he remembered them, right? He was wounded by those words. And I'm sure there's plenty of us here this morning who've been on the receiving end of throwaway comments that still sting, that still haunt us today. I used to serve at a church in Norwood, here in Adelaide, and uh, when I... Um, took responsibility for that church. It was a pretty sleepy church and, and under God's grace it began to grow and we went from one service to two and we went from no drum kit to a big drum kit and uh, things like that and made a bit of noise around the place. And, you know, just like we had a, our presence began to grow. It was really exciting. Lots of good things were happening. Um, not everyone, a lot of people liked it. Not everyone liked it. And there were a couple of key vocal people who really agitated um, against what we were doing in the local community. They'd grown used to this nice old church building in the park surrounding it, just kind of sitting there, sleepy, quiet, just looking pretty. But then we started to kind of use it and make some noise around the place, and some people didn't like it very much. Um, one person uh, wrote to the Archbishop of Adelaide and asking for me to be removed from that location. 
um, was a four-page letter. It was quite well-written, actually. It was really... The fact was that most of it was completely untrue. Um, and anyway, I love the last bit. It was kind of... I shouldn't really like joke about this, but she basically wrote, she said, it's time that you got rid of this evangelical juggernaut from our local area. I thought that was really great. I thought that was really good. Um, didn't work. I kind of stayed there... I moved on from that for other reasons, but uh, even at, I was, my name was brought forward and I, I was um, publicly kind of um, questioned, my integrity was questioned at a Norwood Council meeting uh, for what I was doing. Um, my name was trashed and I can tell you it hurts. It hurts a lot. And countless brothers and sisters around the world, right, can tell you of their persecution. Lying lips and... Pakistan's blasphemy laws can very easily land you in prison if not before the executioner. The reality is, right, we can't expect a safe place as a Christian. The psalmist didn't get a safe space, nor will we. To be honest, real life in this real world doesn't offer safe spaces from lying lips and deceitful tongues, whoever you are. Recently, friends of mine um, from the International Justice Mission visit us in Adelaide. Um, I got to spend time with uh, Bianca and with David. They shared a story uh, with me of a beautiful young Nigerian girl who was trafficked into the sex trade on the promise of a job as a waitress. Turned out it was a job in prostitution. It was several months before the International Justice Mission team in Europe met her. Many more months before she called on the Lord and the Lord answered her and saved her from lying lips and deceitful tongues. Do you feel the distress? Psalmist has lived with manipulation of truth for far too long. Save me, O Lord, he cries. Feel the distress. But secondly, grasp the hope. Feel the distress, but grasp the hope. Look at verse 3. What will he do to you? And what more besides you, deceitful tongue? You hear the, the psalmist kind of brain whirring and his stomach churning. He's grappling with the question, surely God won't turn a blind eye to all this. Then he's worked it out. Verse 4, he will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. It's vivid, isn't it? It's striking language. For all the damage done by their lying lips and cutting comments, the enemy is outgunned by this warrior's arrows and the fire of the broom bush which pictures the lord's hostility to sin it's vivid it's hot but in fact it's more fact than just venom right what will he do what will god do he will punish this is the promise this is the promise that we ignore at our peril that god will judge sin all sin it's also the promise that brings hope because injustice is wrong and just injustice needs to be made right sorted out and god will sort it out the promise we cling to when we are on the end of lying lips and deceitful tongues is that they will not have the last word but it's also a promise with substance remember the words of the apostle paul speaking to the the people in athens acts chapter 17 verse 31 God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The justice that we long for, the justice that we cry for, is as sure and certain as it was that Jesus walked out of the grave on that Easter Sunday. 
the psalmist right, he's not the last person to wrestle with the question of how the Lord will respond to the hurts and injustices of life. What will he do? He isn't the last person to grasp this wonderful hope. He will punish. God will punish. One day, God will sort it all out. What will he do? He will punish. He'll sort it all out. The psalmist, as he goes through the mill, the disciple of Jesus who lives amongst injustice, lies and deceit, God will sort it out. So feel the distress. Feel the distress. Grasp the hope. But then it's really interesting. Like It's as if the psalmist kind of goes back to where he began, right? Taste the despair. That's my third point. He kind of goes, he's feeling all this distress. And remember, this is the song of God's people, right? They're singing this together as they make their way up to Jerusalem three times a year to, to celebrate all that God has done in the past. And they're singing this song. They're going, but feel the distress. The next part of the song goes, but, but feel the hope, taste the hope. But then it's like, taste the despair. Go back to where we were. It's as if he can't let go. He's clinging so tightly to the hope because the hurt that he's experienced is so deep. However, sure of the ending, right, we still have to live in the present. The psalmist won't just like let us going to skip the distress and jump to the hope. The psalm, this psalm is here in the Bible, right? It's in God's beautiful book so that we would sing this song to one another. We would read this truth together in part to get our expectations right for the Christian life. I think this is a good psalm to kind of hit the, this part of the year with as we set ourselves up for 2020. To know what we can expect this year as God's people living in, his, in God's world. So that we're not naive. See what the psalmist writes in verse 5? Um, you know, taste of despair. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar, um, those verbs, right, see the verbs I dwell and I live, those in the original language, those, words, those verbs I dwell or to live, are kind of in, have, they convey this kind of temporary kind of sense. They, you know, I, I temporarily live in Meshech, I temporarily live among the tents of Kedah. I don't know, I'm couch surfing in Meshech and I've got myself an Airbnb in Kedar. I don't know, something like that, you know, but I'm not, this is not, I'm not permanent. It's actually impossible to live both in Meshech and Kedar at the same time. They're miles apart. They sort of, this massive expanse. It's symbolic of something. Kedar actually kind of carries this kind of sense of darkness and foreboding. You know, here the psalmist, I think, is capturing for us how we so often feel as God's people, as disciples, when we're at odds with the culture around us. In a society at odds with the people of God. And the psalmist lived in that world. He lived in this sort of darkness, like a resident alien, always on the edge of the culture around. Makes me think of the, the Apostle Peter, who writes to a group of Christians following the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus, this new group of Christians living in Asia Minor, scattered all over through the Roman Empire. They've come to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've come to know the power of the resurrection, but they're living in Asia Minor, surrounded by people who don't like them very much. And Peter writes to these Christians, 
this massively beautiful exhortation. 1 Peter, read it this afternoon, read it before you go to bed tonight. But he basically starts by saying, have a look with me, let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, where is it? It's in the Bible somewhere. 1 Peter. Here we go. After James. 1 Peter, Peter writes, chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. You see that? Peter writes to them, you are God's elect. You're chosen children of God, saved through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit, but you're chosen before the foundation of the earth. But then he says, look at that, strangers in the world, sojourners, pilgrims, you know, Airbnbers, couch surfers in the world. You don't belong here, he's saying. And as Christians, we don't belong here. This is not our home. And I think the psalmist here is saying we are resident aliens. Christians around the world, right, our brothers and sisters, many of them have lost education, Jobs, freedom for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Statistics show that Christians are the most persecuted group of people on the planet. Brother or sister in Christ who knows what it means to be living on the edge of society could sing these words with real feeling, isn't it? Like, woe is me. Have you said that before? Like, woe is me a deep sigh of weariness i think it's a like it's a sigh of like schlep you know it's not the the tut-tutting moral high horse kind of pointing the finger at people it's this it's this sigh of weariness i live in a world where i don't belong i'm not home and you see that he goes on too long have i lived among those who hate peace it's like i've had enough I can't take it anymore. Can you imagine what it would be like if we faced like real persecution in this city, in this country? You know, where day after day you're wondering, is it going to be me next? Will it be me next? Verse 7. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. I mean, do you know anything of that? You're not trying to stir others up, right? I I am for peace. Literally, I am peace. Peace is like my middle name, Simon Peace Jackson, you know, whatever it might be. But there are some people out there, right, who when whatever you do, whatever you say, they fire back as if it's World War III, just kind of kicking off again. Woe is me, too long. Feel the distress. Grasp the hope. Taste the despair. And the psalmist, I think, wants us to do all these things. Why? So that then we'll grow an appetite to meet the one who hears our cries. You see, hundreds of years after this song was written, countless times after this song had been sung, one would come who would taste this to the full. Emmanuel, God with us. Lying lips and deceitful tongues, right? They started when Jesus was still in the womb. Remember that? The hush whispers that he was illegitimate. He's, he's Mary's son. 
that she's not married. He's illegitimate. You know, all that lying lips, deceitful tongues. They continued into Jesus' ministries, right? Trick questions, accusations about Jesus, that Jesus actually was doing the work of the evil one, not of the divine father. Lying lips and deceitful tongues, they caused his execution. They were the words that were part of his rigged trial. And guess what? All the way to Calvary, lying lips, deceitful tongues, mocking Jesus. All the way to the cross. Jesus, right, our Lord and Saviour, walked this psalm for himself. And that's why the writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament can write this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Makes such a difference, doesn't it? Starting 2020. To have someone who understands. Doesn't it? Woe is me, the psalmist says. And Jesus knows that sigh. Jesus wasn't a tut-tutting moralizer. He wept for Jerusalem. He he wept for the judgment that she would face. He cried out for her. I am peace. I mean, Jesus could say that more than any other person in all of history. Yet he found that they are for war. Crucify him. Crucify him. That was their cry. And a robber, a murderer, Barabbas, well, he he got their vote. I don't know... You know, 2020 has started, it's almost February, we're a month in. I I don't know where you're at right now in 2020. The distress for you, the despair for you may be very real, may be very real for me. But surely if I was going to cry out to anyone, it would be this Lord, the Lord Jesus, the Lord who understands. That's why the writer in in Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 16, he goes on to say, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I don't know what sort of journey you see yourself on right now. I don't know where you're at in your sort of pilgrimage. Perhaps you're here this morning and and you feel alone. For one reason or another, you feel far from God. You You want to reconnect. You want to come back to him. Well, here is the one to come back to. And there's nothing you will need more than his mercy and his grace. Well, maybe for you guys here at Living Word Bible Church, I've got that right, haven't I? New word added into the title, Living Word Bible Church. I don't know, maybe, maybe for us, you guys here this morning, Living Word Bible Church, it's more of a together thing. You know, where you're here together at the beginning of 2020. Under God, seeking to build a community of Jesus Christ in the midst of the community of this particular area, in the middle of those who actually don't want to know, in the midst of those who actually maybe resent that you're even here, who, who see you guys as more of an interference than anything else, who can't remove you guys from this area, but hey, they're going to do everything they can to neutralise all that you're doing. How are you going to keep going? How are you going to push on in 2020? Or I reckon you're only going to push on with buckets and buckets of mercy and lashings of grace to help you in times of need. Yeah. 
Well, this is where the journey starts. In the dark, with the distress, and a bunch of people at the end of their tether. I don't think you're probably at the end of your tether just yet in 2020. But we've got to realise that we aren't at home. That we don't belong here. Our home is with the Lord. And while we are here, let us, brothers and sisters, call out to our Lord and Saviour, who understands us, who's walked the distress, who knows the despair, who's given us hope because he's overcome the grave. Our God, who despite all of that understands, for he's walked the walk himself. Right now, though, why don't we cry out to the one who understands and answers? Just take a moment, just be still for a moment, cry out to the one who understands, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Just take a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Father, we, we realise that uh, we are at the beginning of this year, again afresh, in a fight of faith. But Father, we thank you that we don't fight alone. Father, as distant as the new Jerusalem might seem, we thank you that we can still reach out our hands, uh, knowing that you are not far away. And that, Lord, indeed, our home is not that far away. So, Father, we, we, we join with the psalmist. We, we call on you in the midst of our distress. And, Lord, we thank you that you answer us. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning here who perhaps are experiencing distress. Father, who might be experiencing a real sense of despair. Father, I praise you and thank you that you understand. Thank you, Father, that you know what it is to feel distressed. You know what it is to feel that sense of despair. But, Father, we thank you that you've overcome. Father, I pray that you'd give all of us mercy and grace to keep on keeping on. Father, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who, does, who understands us, the one who's walked this walk before us, the one who has laid down his life for our sins, the one who's taken his life up again and now rules and reigns at your right hand. So, Father, help us by your mercy. Father, help us with lavish and amazing amounts of your grace to keep on keeping on this year. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus who understands us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.